0: Corbin, stop hitting stuff. Do not hit your brother. do, right? Um, So, well, welcome again to Fur Road. We are in this uh, short series called Break the Rules, and and if you haven't been here for the last couple weeks, we've talked about how some rules are meant to be broken, okay? When I was younger, uh, I broke quite a few rules that that weren't meant to be broken. I'm just going to give you one little example. Uh, In my high school biology room, there was hamsters, and there were... Uh, there was a cage for boy hamsters and there was a cage for girl hamsters. And uh, I may or may not have decided it was a good idea to put mix the, the hamsters. And uh, uh, guess how long it takes for hamsters to have babies? Three weeks. So yeah, in three weeks there was lots of baby hamsters. And, and our, our teacher was not very happy about it. And uh, and he never figured out that I may or may not have done this. So it, don't tell Mr. Fenske. Um, I'm not sure if Mr. Fenske's alive, actually. He was really old then. But don't, you know. <laughs> uh, so that's not the kind of rules that so I'm talking about breaking, okay? Uh, I don't condone that kind of thing. Uh, although, I, you have to admit, it's pretty funny. Too, right? um, but I'm not saying...
1: We should ever disregard God's
0: commands, okay? That's not what this is about, but we have looked at two different kinds of rules that were broken in the Bible. The first one was by Jesus himself, okay? We talked about how Jesus challenged the Jewish religious norms and, and was willing to eat with sinners, remember that, and even invite one of those sinners, uh, one of the worst sinners to be one of his main disciples. Last week we looked at four radical friends who were willing to to... Wreck the roof of a house, and, and they, they would do anything they could to get their friend close to Jesus. And, and so we, we talked about how it's okay to be radical when, when it comes to helping people get closer to Jesus. Today we want to continue this series with another kind of strange sounding, but very biblical word of advice, and that is to be a fool. Okay, uh, Be willing to look foolish in the world's eyes in order to be a follower of Christ. And to help others be followers of Christ. The world says, don't be a fool. Okay? But I'm telling you today that sometimes it's okay to be a fool for Jesus. And it, and it sounds crazy, but it's true, and we'll see that here in a minute. There, there's a surprising passage in the opening passage, open chapter of 1 Corinthians that teaches us to promote what some may consider foolish. Uh, what our main passage today is from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18-31. Probably one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And so listen to verse 18 to start with. It says, for the message of the cross is foolishness
1: to those who are perishing, but to those who are being
0: saved it is the power of God that the message of the cross is, is the power of God. And if you don't understand the cross, if you've never personalized the meaning of what Jesus did for us, then you have never truly experienced the power of God and, and it seems really foolish. And, and our goal should be for everyone around us to understand that even if it, it looks like we look like fools in the world's eyes, it doesn't matter if we are truly following the God of the universe. Here's the thing, if you, if you stop to think about Jesus, there are a lot of unexpected things about his life, very surprising things, many things that uh, were unexpected to the Jewish people, and that's why it was so hard for many of them to, to accept that he was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. Okay, but probably the most surprising thing when you think about it was, was for God to come down to the earth in the flesh and, and die the kind of death that he died. You know, stripped and, and beaten and, and nailed to a Roman cross at the insistence of the, the Jewish religious leaders, it, it seemed to be the ultimate defeat in a very shameful death. So imagine how strange it would have sin, sin, sounded to the early Christians to say, "Well, we put our hope in, in the cross of Jesus." You know, to most of us, if you grew up in church, that sounds very normal. But to people in the first century, the cross was an instrument of death and okay, not of life. And, and it would sound foolish to, to put your hope in an instrument of death, right? And, and so many today still would say, you know, it's foolish to put your hope in Jesus. You know, the Bible's outdated, it's narrow-minded, it's just a bunch of made-up stories. And the crucifixion itself was a horrible thing. Okay, it, it was torture reserved for for murderers and and traitors. In fact, a Roman citizen would be decapitated, which is terrible, but uh, for the same thing, but they wouldn't have to go through the same drawn-out torture that anybody else would go through. It was only non-Roman citizens who had committed some kind of capital offense were put to death by crucifixion, because it was considered the most hideous of deaths. And if you look at the history of the crucifixion, you, you see Kind of a long, uh, drawn-out history. It goes through a couple hundred years before Christ. It started on the Tigris-Euphrates River among the Persians,
1: and they began to develop this art of
0: crucifixion. Um, They would go into an area, they would attack a town, they would take the survivors of the town and crucify them by taking a tree. And this is is gruesome, but they chop off the top of the tree, they would take the trunk of the tree, sharpen it to a point, and then they throw the victim's belly first on top of the tree. And so the impalement was the very first form of crucifixion. The Phoenicians picked up the practice, and then they passed it on to the Greeks, and the Greeks passed it on to the Syrians. And then there was this man named Antiochus Epiphanes, who began to use crucifixion and develop it more, and used it as kind of a a terrifying part of war. And so it then traveled down to the Ptolemy kingdom of Egypt, the Ptolemaids began to practice crucifixion from there to follow the way over to ancient Carthage. And they started doing crucifixion, added it to their itinerary of tortures, and then it was refined and fine-tuned each step of the way. The Italians were close to this. They saw it. They caught on. And they um, used it and refined it, and then the, the Romans perfected it. Um, so crucifixion was truly an awful Awful form of capital punishment. It was reserved for those who were going to be shamed to the maximum. Okay, So I give you this background to just remind you how shameful a death this was. So Paul's reminding the church that this seems a little crazy for those who haven't followed Jesus yet to put their hope in the cross. But he knew that the cross wasn't the end point of Jesus. That's what we have to remember. It was a short interlude before victory would overcome death. And Paul knew the city of Corinth took pride in its sophistication. Okay? It, was, it, it was well known for being a very intelligent and well-educated city. And so Paul kind of brings the subjection out in the open. He, he uses their words for the idea that Christ died on the cross as foolishness. That's what many of the Corinthians said. And so Paul brings that into this chapter here. And, and this message of the cross just seems silly. You know, what kind of fool would look at the cross of Jesus and believe in him? And so I want to give you a couple of key things to think about today because the, the same thinking is prevalent today. And so um, two main points, that's it, that, that we can take away from here. Can you handle two points this morning? All right. Okay, so let's do this. So first of all, the cross, it humbles the proud. To get to this point of accepting the cross, you need to be humbled. And and every one of us had to come to a point of being humble ourselves. Um, You know, most of us love heroes, okay? Our culture loves heroes. We have many different heroes, sports heroes, movie heroes, fictional heroes. But we're selective about choosing them, okay? They they can't be forced on us. Um, A few years ago, Disney invested half a billion dollars in a, in a film about a hero named John Carter, and they thought it was going to be huge, but, but it flopped completely, it was a marketing disaster, most people don't remember it at all, I mean, it was in 2012, you guys remember it at all? A little bit? Yeah, yeah, so it, it did not happen like they thought it was going to be, there were aliens and a beautiful woman and acrobatic sword fights and special effects were impressive, it had all the makings of a hit action film, but people just didn't buy into it for whatever reason. I don't know if it's the name John Carter, doesn't sound like a hero or what. Well, when many of the, the Corinthians looked at Jesus, they, they were unimpressed also. They didn't see anything heroic in Jesus, they were uninspired. They they didn't want a God who died. They were too smart to believe in a God who couldn't keep himself alive. But it was their intellectual pride that was keeping them from seeing the death of Jesus for what it was. So let's keep reading. Verse 19 and 20. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Paul's saying, you know, God has made the wisdom of the the world very foolish. And that would have been a direct challenge to the Corinthian people. Rather than praising their intelligence, God says, you you need to know that that you're not as smart as you think you are. And we all know people who think, you know, they they have life all figured out. They know it all. Uh, Paul says, no, they, they don't. Not when it comes to God. You see, true wisdom is Humble. True wisdom says, I need to be careful because I'm probably not as smart as I think I am. You know, there's a lot of things I I really don't understand. Maybe you've heard the the story of a a small charter airplane who had had a pilot and a Boy Scout and the smartest man in the world on board. (laughs) Uh, When the the engine suddenly failed and the the pilot said to the Boy Scout and the smartest man in the world, we have a big problem. I just remembered there are only two parachutes on board. I am sorry. And as the pilot tried to continue speaking, the smart man interrupted and grabbed a pack from the floor of the plane. He shoved his arms through the straps, looked at the pilot and the boy and said, I'm sorry, but the world needs me. The smartest man in the world can't die in a plane crash. So he threw the door open and jumped. The pilot shook his head and looked at the boy and said, son, you've got so much life ahead of you. Plus, I feel responsible for this. You take the other parachute and get out of here before we crash. Boy Scouts said, don't worry, mister, we're both going to make it. The smartest man in the world just jumped out of a plane with my backpack. <laughs> Some of you are trying to figure out, is this a real story? So, uh, nothing is more dangerous to our, our spiritual health than, than pride. Okay. In fact, the Bible says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And whether it's intellectual pride or moral pride or spiritual pride, God is is completely against those things. And and in fact, God is repulsed by the attitude that we're too smart to believe in him. That's why twice in Psalms, in chapters 14 and 53, we're told the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Notice that that verse doesn't say it's foolish to to wonder about God or, or ask questions about the existence of God. What the psalmist labels as foolish is the insistence that, that God does not exist when it's all said and done. And what the Corinthians did wrong was not to wrestle with the meaning of the crucifixion, okay? That's a good thing to do. Their mistake was proudly insisting that the crucifixion of Jesus disqualified him as the Messiah and Savior of the world. So let's keep going. Verse 22. Paul explains: Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. You know, the Jewish Corinthians they were they were constantly wanting the miracles from Jesus, but it, but it was never enough. And in fact, Jesus grew weary of the demands for miracles at one point. And, and once he said, "No more." Okay, here is the sign you are going to get from me. I'll be buried. For three days in the heart of the earth, just like Jonah spent three days in a great fish. But when that happened, he fulfilled that promise. When he was victorious over death, so many still refused to believe. Like now. And the Gentiles in Corinth rejected Jesus, but they thought his, his teachings and his ideas had failed. Friends, don't allow the humble ways of Jesus to fool you. You know, one of the most humble things Jesus ever said was when John the Baptist was was kind of struggling to figure out if Jesus was really the Messiah. You know, he he thought he was, but then he wasn't sure. And that's when Jesus said in Matthew 11, 6, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. What's that talking about? Jesus was saying, "I, I know my ways are surprising. Uh, I know it's not what you expected, but don't let what you didn't expect or understand cause you to stop believing. You know, if you or someone you want to help struggles with the idea that God's Son would die on the cross, the cure is just humility. You know, pray for humility for those who have rejected Christ. And the fact is that God waits. God's ways are not our ways. Uh, the truth is that God's ways are higher than our ways, and that means there, there are decisions that make sense to God that, that none of us can fully understand, and, and God doesn't explain all his actions to us, and he doesn't have to, right? Our minds aren't meant to completely understand the mind of God, but we're commanded simply to put our trust and faith in him. So we on to verse 24 and 25. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Only God could take a, an instrument of death and turn it into a symbol of life. His, his foolishness is, is wiser than our wisdom. His weakness is
1: the weakness of a man dying on the
0: cross is stronger than our strength, but we must humble ourselves to, to fully comprehend that. So first of all, we need to know that the cross humbles the proud, and secondly, we need to understand that the cross lifts up the weak. Just as there is nobody so intelligent or strong that they don't need the cross, we also need to understand that no one is so weak or so fallen that the cross cannot help them. I'm not sure where you guys are at today, but I have seen so many people over the years who felt like they just did not deserve the cross. That The canyon is simply too great between them and God. And maybe you've spent most of your life kind of trying to avoid God and, and His will for your life. Let me just say you haven't run so far away that God can't bring you home.
1: And, and maybe you have
0: friends or family you feel like, man, they're just so far away. And I've tried and I've prayed for years for them and nothing has happened. And I would say the same thing. They haven't run so far away from God that, that God can't bring them home. And maybe you feel trapped by a a sin that just seems to dominate your life and, and there seems to be no hope. Let me just say that you are not so trapped that God can't cleanse you and help you. And I want you to know and understand that you are not defined by that sin. You're defined by who you are in Christ. Did you hear me on that? You are not defined by that sin that you struggle with. You are defined by who you are in Christ. And that can be life-changing when we realize that. Amen. Maybe you've just kind of played church and, and avoided real spiritual growth for, for decades. And let me just say that you are not so callous that the cross of Jesus can't change you even now and start to work on you and help you to grow in your faith. Maybe you've avoided talking to those around you about Jesus for so long that you think you could never possibly do it. How can I do it? I don't even know where to start. But let me just say that it is never too late to start sharing the love of our Savior. Look at what Paul says in verse 26. Love this part. This is for the person who thinks he's too unimportant, too sinful, too far from God him. But God has a special place in his heart for those who are are weak in the world's eyes. God just seems to love the underdog. And as you read through the Bible, you just find that over and over that God uses people at their weakest points. When Moses was a a fugitive living in another land, God selected him to lead his people out of slavery. When Joseph was a slave, God elevated him to the second highest in all of Egypt.
1: When Daniel was facing death in a lion's
0: den, God closed the mouths of lions. When the apostle Paul was blinded on the road to Damascus and, and, and finally humbled, God said, Okay, now I'm choosing you. You used to be so stuck on yourself. Now, now you're ready. You're home. You see, we're, we're often not chosen until we're, we're broken. And you think, well, why is that? Why does God do that? It's because God chooses the, the weak things to, to shame the strong and, and, and to show his power. And it was on the cross that Jesus became the most powerful. The crucified Jesus was the power of God and the wisdom of God. I want to tell you a, a true story. I'm sure many of you have heard this illustration before, but I think it's pretty powerful. In 1967... A young man at the University of Cincinnati named Charles Murray was training for the 1968 Summer Olympics as a diving. Charles had a a Christian friend who, over the course of time, had witnessed to him many times and had explained the significance of the cross and the empty tomb and of Charles' great personal need for the forgiveness of his sins. And Charles was very interested in religion until it got personal. And when his friend pressed him to embrace the cross and to to personalize what Jesus had done, his reply was a strong no. In fact, he began to avoid his Christian friend. But the Holy Spirit was working on his heart, and and he was deeply troubled by the truths his friend had shown him in the Bible. Now, because Charles was training for the Olympics, he was granted special privileges at the university pool facilities. And often, even as late as 11 in the evening, he would go to the pool to swim. And practice his dives. Something unique about the pool at the University of Cincinnati is that the ceiling is made out of glass. So as Charles entered the pool on one clear October night, the walls were illuminated by a full moon shining through the ceiling. So without turning on the lights, Charles climbed to the highest platform to take his first dive. As he backed away to the edge of the platform and spread his arms to gather his balance he looked up and saw his own shadow projected by the moonlight onto the wall and behind the board in the shape of a cross. In that moment, the Holy Spirit pierced his heart. The meaning for his life of of all the scriptures his friend had shared suddenly became crystal clear. And no longer able to bear the burden of his own sin, he burst into tears. He sat down on the platform and, and cried out to God to forgive his sin and to save him. By the blood of Jesus. 25 feet in the air on the diving platform, Charles Murray experienced the victory that comes when anyone, no matter how weak, embraces the cross. Suddenly, the lights in the pool area came on. A custodian had entered the room to clean the pool, and as Charles looked down from the platform, he was shocked to see an empty pool, which had been drained for repairs. Had he ignored the cross, he would have plummeted to his death, both physically and spiritually. But because he saw the cross and embraced it, he was saved to live a new life. Here's the thing without Jesus, every single one of us is standing on the platform of life in grave danger. And the grace of Jesus is a reminder that you are forgiven if you don't ignore that cross. You know, every year, literally thousands of of self-help books are published. And and they all have basically one theme. The power to change is within you.
1: But every year, millions of people buy those books and they follow what they say and later discover
0: that the principles are, are flawed. There's something missing. But the message of the cross is very different says you don't have the power to transform yourself. You're too weak without the power of the cross. You need a source of strength and wisdom that is way beyond yourself. A few years ago there was a, a movie in which a man wanted to help a, a desperate family that was being terrorized by a gang. And the daughter had been brutally attacked and the son was, was being pressured to join the gang. And To intimidate the family, the gang drove past their home and fired dozens of bullets into the house. It seemed like a hopeless situation, but the man was not afraid of the gang. He he had served in a war, he knew how to handle himself and how to handle a gun, but he also realized vigilante justice would only incite more violence. Attacking the gang outright was not a solution, so one night he went to the house of the gang members, stood on the sidewalk, and called them all outside. He then made a sudden move for something inside his coat, provoking the gang to fire automatic weapons at him. He died instantly. It seemed like such a foolish thing to do. You know, why would he do this? Why act so macho and and set himself up to be killed? But it was really a, a shrewd plot to make it impossible for the gang to harass that innocent family. You see, while the man wanted the gang members to believe he had a gun inside his coat, he did not. And since he was unarmed, they would be tried for murder. And since all of them were involved, the gang would dissolve. And that meant the family would be safe. But he couldn't save them through vengeance. He could only save them by the seemingly foolish act of sacrificing himself. He made himself look weak, but he was actually wise and strong. That's what Jesus Christ did through the cross. Think about it. He he left the angels and the glory of heaven and he came to earth unarmed. Although Jesus could have defeated Satan outright, he realized doing so would not have redeemed us. We were already dead in our sins and and destined for punishment. The only thing Jesus could do to truly save us is to do what seemed foolish in the eyes of the world. And so he allowed himself to be arrested to be beaten, to be humiliated and nailed to a cross, and by doing so, he accomplished through his suffering what he could have never gained otherwise. Foolish. Weak. The Apostle Peter described it this way. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die the sins and live for forgiveness or for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You know, all we can really do is say, Wow, thank you, Jesus. I need you.
1: And as followers of Jesus, we have the
0: opportunity to be foolish in the world's eyes, by sharing the message of Jesus and the cross. And it initially sounds like a message of weakness and foolishness, but in reality it's a message of power and strength and wisdom. So let's break the rules of the world and be fools for Christ. Pray with me. Lord, to so many.